0: and continuing our reading from John chapter 9 listen for God's word to you then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded what's your opinion about this man who healed you the man replied i think he must be a prophet the jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind had been blind and could now see so they called in his parents They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this, for we, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They cursed him and they said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. (laughs) Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he came from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship in him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of a man who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and show those who think they see that they are blind. Some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and said, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Whenever I talk to people about miracles, and I don't do that very frequently, despite the fact that I'm a pastor, I don't, you know, people don't come in every day and tell me, let's talk about miracles. But when I do talk about miracles, it seems like I mostly get three questions. The first question I get is, do they happen? Or sometimes do they still happen? There's a theological debate, uh, particularly in the Reformed Church, which uh, we stand as part of, um, about whether miracles ceased at some point in the past and they no longer happen. So there's a theological debate about whether miracles happen at all. And of course, there is a, there is a debate. Many people, you know people like this who say, no, they never happen. That, that what, what we read about in the Bible was some kind of fanciful telling or maybe just outright fiction. So, so, uh, there is a debate about whether miracles, um, ever happened and whether they still happen. So that's one of the questions I get. The other two questions are related. The first one is, then why didn't it happen to me? When I was counting on God, how come I didn't get a miracle? I needed a miracle. The the situation was desperate. The person I cared about was in dire straits. I needed a miracle, and it didn't happen. That's the first question. Of course, the flip side of that question is, why did it happen to me and not to someone else? Why did I survive the accident but not the others? People ask these questions about miracles. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to look at this story from John's gospel because it has a lot to teach us about miracles. We have been looking at this uh, uh, gospel account, this this biography that John wrote about Jesus, and he tells us in today's reading about a miracle. It is, it is a great miracle. One of the participants says that since the beginning of the world, no one has ever heard of a miracle like this. So it is a great miracle, and it is for John the sixth of the seven miracles that John recounts in his biography. John has told us, and we may remember he said that there were all kinds of things he could have told us about Jesus. He followed Jesus around for three years. He saw all kinds of things, but he has an opinionated account. He is writing not to please historians, but so that people may believe, because he says, when you believe in Jesus, when you trust Jesus, when you decide to lean your life against what Jesus has promised, then you have eternal life and you become a child of God. So John has, has an agenda and he lays his cards on the table. These are the stories I'm going to recount about Jesus because these are the ones that will help you believe. So he tells us this story about this miracle. And so what I want to do is I want to go through it. It's 41 verses. I'm going to try and go through it very quickly, but then we'll dis- uh, try. Um, but um, then I'm going to um, discuss it as, as much as we can and see what it teaches us about uh, miracles. Um, I realize you don't have it in front of you, um, uh, so you don't have it in front of you. Um, you can bring a Bible to church like I do. If you want to use the Pew Bible, it's a different translation, but you, they're pretty similar. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 102 in the back section. But you will notice it's a slightly different translation. So, so Jesus is um, walking along, <clears throat> chapter nine, verse one. Jesus is walking along, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his rabbis say, "Rabbi," or his his disciples say, "Rabbi, who is God mad at? Is God mad at this man's parents?" Or is God mad at the man? Why is he blind? Who sinned that this man would be born blind? And Jesus says, it was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him, so that people would witness God's power in the world in a way that they could realize that God loves them, that God is not punishing people, but God actually loves them. So he says the purpose for this is so that God can show his power. And then Jesus makes mud. He spits on the ground and makes mud. Now, you learn all kinds of things when you read commentaries. Apparently in the ancient world there was a belief that human spittle could be used to treat vision problems. And since they didn't have cataract surgery and they didn't have glaucoma drugs and all the other problems that happened, they didn't know how to treat diabetes, they didn't know what to do with uh, vision problems they didn't have corrective lenses so i suppose spittle was as good as anything else but it does seem kind of strange to go to a spa and make an uh, make an offering to the to the local deity so that somebody could spit in your eye but that's apparently what they did so jesus um, by by using spit jesus is signifying to anyone who's watching that there's about to be a healing so Jesus spits on the ground and he makes mud, but unfortunately he's making mud in the Sabbath. And by making mud in the Sabbath, he's breaking not one or two, but four separate restrictions. First of all, he's mixing things on the Sabbath. If you think of a woman's kitchen, right? she's making bread or something like that. She's not allowed to mix things on the Sabbath. She's not allowed to knead things on the Sabbath. So even if she mixed it yesterday and she let it rise all night... She's still not allowed to knead. So so you're not allowed to knead or mix. Um, you're not allowed to apply ointments um, on a, on the Sabbath. And, of course, you're not allowed to heal people on the Sabbath. So Jesus has kind of uh, got the trifecta or the perfecta of, of bad things to do on the Sabbath. He has made mud and applied it to this man's eyes. And then he tells the man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And the man does, and he sees. And then he comes back. And people go, you remind me of somebody, but he's a beggar and you're walking around seeing. And he says, no, that's me. And there's kind of a, there's kind of an irony here that the people who have had vision all along don't recognize the person who's been begging. And the reason for that, of course, is they've never really looked at him. When I was a kid, we lived in the town with the, um, the New Mexico School for the Visually Handicapped. And so uh, young people, young students, would go there to learn how to read Braille or things like that. And so we would see them in church and in um, our, our high school. We'd see people who are blind. And, you know, a lot of the time you can't tell a blind person, but sometimes, depending on the nature of their blindness, you'd see them. And I can testify you to you, that my natural reaction when I see somebody who's been disfigured or who has a who has a um, uh, who's somebody who's an albino um, is to look away, and I'm guessing that that's exactly what was going on here. People would drop a penny in his cup, but they wouldn't actually look at him. So when Jesus heals him, they really don't know who that man is. So who's blind in this picture? So. They say, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he wasn't, and others said, no, he just looks like him. And the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they say, who healed you? What happened? And he tells them it was Jesus. And they say, boy, this is really confusing. Um, We better take it to a religious leader to straighten it out. (laughs) Famous last words. (laughs) Good Good luck with that. Um, You know, the camels and the... the, uh, The eyes of the needles and the angels dancing on the head of the pen. Good luck straightening it out by taking it to religious leaders. But they do, and they take him to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made mud and healed him. Now one of the things that's interesting about John's um, biography of Jesus is he does what we do. He speaks in the present tense a lot, even though we know it's the past tense. We do this all the time. You're talking to somebody about something that happened at work, and you say, so then I, I walked up to the copier, and it started spitting out paper, right? And then you say, and then my boss comes in, and my boss asks me what's going so on. We, we've switched from the past tense to the present tense, just as a conversational thing we do. And John does it too. So we never know exactly, is John talking about something that's happening right at the moment Or is he talking about something that's part of his story? So sometimes it can be a little puzzling because John's a human and he writes the way we talk. So I don't know exactly what the time frame is for the events that happen here. But it's at least possible that everything we read happens on the Sabbath. And it's striking to me that there would be such a full-scale investigation that would be carried out on the Sabbath to investigate the possibility that people are working on the Sabbath. But that seems to be, that seems to be what, what happens. So they name a special counsel and he uh, sends out some subpoenas and uh, they bring them in and they get testimony. So they start with the, the man who had been born blind. And they say, what happened? They ask him for facts. They say, tell us the facts of the case. And so he does. He says, the man named Jesus Um, he says uh, he put mud on my eyes and when I washed it away I could see and so some of the Pharisees said well this man Jesus is not from God because he's working on the Sabbath he did all those things you're not supposed to do others said yeah but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs so there was a deep division among them the Pharisees say here's the problem when the map and the terrain disagree, you're supposed to trust the terrain. But I don't like this terrain. The terrain is, you are a man who is born blind and now you see. That's the terrain. It's unarguable. But my map, the map in my mind, says that this can't happen. And I really, really like my map. And I really, really don't like this terrain. And so they say, they say, well, let's ask him some more questions. And so they do. And this time, instead of asking him for the facts, they ask him for an evaluation. They ask him for his opinion. You tell us not not what happened. Tell us what kind of person it was who, who did this to you. What's I want to find out whose side you're on. Are you like me? Do you disagree with the, the terrain? Are you with me on the same page of my map? And the man says, no, I think he must be a prophet. And so the Jewish leaders uh, still refused to believe that the man had been born blind and could now see. That's a solution. Maybe he was never blind. Maybe he's been faking it. So they call on his parents and say, "Has your son been faking it for all these years?" And they say, "They say, well, he is he is our son, and he was born blind. But as for the other, this conversation is toxic, and I can only see bad things coming from me participating any further. So I'm about to plead the fifth on advice of counsel." <laughs> He is of age. You ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man back in, and this time, this is the third time they've questioned him. The second time, he's been in the room. And they say, here's what you're supposed to answer. They coach him. They just flat out tell him, here's the answer we're looking for. And so, they say, God should get the credit for this. Forget the whole Jesus thing, and we'll just call it a wash, okay? So, Just give God the credit for it, because we know Jesus is a sinner. And the man says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. But what did he do? He made mud on the Sabbath. How did he heal you? He did it wrong. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this man comes from. And then the man says, That's very strange. You know, Look at the terrain. Forget about your map. In fact, look at what your map says. From, from all of time, we know God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship in him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And they say, all right, that does it. You've had three chances to get the story right. You've blown it. So we're kicking you out. We're kicking you out of the synagogue. You are excommunicated. People will have nothing to do with you. They will cross the street to avoid you. They will spit in your shadow. You're out of here. And so they do. And then Jesus heard what had happened. He found the man and said, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" He says, "Who is he? I want to believe in him?" And Jesus says, "You have seen him, and he's talking to you now." So he says, "Yes, Lord, I believe, and he worships Jesus and Jesus has this little comment about "You were never blind the way some people are blind." He says, "I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and show those who think they see that they are blind. Some disciples some Pharisees who were standing nearby said, "Are you saying we're blind?" and Jesus says If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So, Jesus performs this miracle, and all throughout the story of the miracle, we see there's this problem with seeing. Who's seeing the facts? Who's seeing things the way they really are? So, John has picked this miracle and told us about it in such a way, we realize there's all kinds of seeing and refusal to see at work in the story. And that's what I love about this story. There is, there is a notion among modern skeptics, you'll, you'll see them all the time, that people in Bible times were naive. They were kind of like little, little, you know, ancient children. They ran ran around wearing togas and stuff and they were naive and they were gullible and they would believe pretty much anything you told them. They weren't skeptical enough. But I read this story and I see nothing but skepticism. They keep looking for any possible reason not to believe what Is right there in front of them. I think that this is a parable for our modern age. So what do we think about miracles? Do they happen? Let me, let me turn it around. Have you seen a miracle? And because that's an awkward question for a lot of us, I will go first and hopefully you will think this over during the next hour or day or month or year, think about what you've seen that might be miraculous. Here's my answer. When we lived in Colorado, there was a family that we went to church with, and um, after we moved away, they began uh, doing foster care for children. And one night they got a phone call from the state because there had been a a little boy who was a couple of weeks old, and he had been profoundly battered. And um he was uh literally at death's door, doorstep and um he had lost a large chunk of his brain and the doctors told the our, our friends that he would never walk, he would never use his right arm, he would never be able to talk, and he would never see. Just flatly, this this boy has been so damaged by what happened to him that he'll never walk, he'll never use his right arm, he'll never talk, and he'll never see. And so they took him in, and they provided foster care for a while, and they eventually adopted him. And they kept taking him to doctors. And over the next six or seven years, and I could not, I could not begin to count how many different surgeries and all types of medical interventions and therapy, that boy walks. He uses his right arm, he talks, and he sees. He was up here a couple of summers ago, and I got a hug from his right arm. So have I seen a miracle? The doctor said that would never happen. Is that a miracle? We have a problem in our society, we have a problem That is related to the frame that we work in. You all know about frames. I've got, you know, an example here. I think. Do I talk about frames next? I've got to be able to see it. (laughs) See, so frames. I need the next picture. So, so frames. You know how frames work, right? So here's a picture from some some artist did a painting of this scene. Jesus is healing the man who is blind, right? But a frame only shows what's inside the frame. So. If I told you that was the whole painting, you'd have to believe me. But what if I showed you that there's a different way to frame that painting and you see more? So there's the whole painting. You can see that there's the crowd of skeptical uh, Pharisees off to one side. And of course, I can reframe the, the painting in a different way to show them. Frames show us what we want to look at. And unfortunately, we live our lives in a world of frames. They're not just something that artists use. They're something we have built into us. We have a frame, those of us in this room have a frame that psychologists sometimes call the weird frame. The weird frame is, means that we are Western, we're educated, we're industrialized, we're rich, and we're democratic. We see the world through that frame. Everything we look at is Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And that's just the way we see the world, and it's the way the world works, if you ask us. And that's a good frame. That has led to a society that is wealthier and healthier than probably any society in history. It's, it's transforming the world even now. If you look at just the amount of like infant mortality and things like that, it's had a huge impact all around the world, that mindset. It's a good frame. But it is still a frame. And it has its limitations. You saw it for a second, and I'll show it to you again. There's a There's an optical illusion. We see what we want to see the western mindset actually helps us to understand how little we see this is a famous optical illusion it was invented or discovered about a thou- about 100 years ago by a german uh, psychologist uh herr <laughs> i forget his first name herr müller liar um and you might have seen this before are those two horizontal lines the same length right so are they or aren't they right uh, if you drew it yourself with a ruler You would know that they are the same length, but your eyes would fool you. And I mentioned, this is actually a Western thing. Westerners can be detected by this because we are more susceptible to this than people in traditional cultures. Actually, uh, there was a psychologist who studied Inuit um, uh, Alaskans and found that they are less susceptible to this illusion than people who... uh, we're reared in a western context and there's speculation about why that might be is it because we're more used to buildings with perspective or what so so it's it's just an illusion and no one knows exactly what's going on in the brain that it happens but it's very predictable people have a great deal of trouble estimating the right size for that uh, stroke but this is just one example it's not just at the level of vision it's at the level of perception i'm going to show you uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of psychological literature on how bad we are at seeing things. There's, there's, uh, people talk about motivated cognition and, uh, uh, uh cognitive bias and, and uh, effective priming and all those cool things like this. I want to show you one because if the technology works, uh, you'll see an example of something. So she's going to go to this now. So full screen please and then try and launch it. So. I know, we can do cool things today. (laughs) So, all right. I'll be quiet. Uh. No, it's not really a gorilla. So... So this is um, uh, one of, you know, you, all you've got to do is Google, um, go, go to YouTube and then ask for um, uh, gorilla basketball, um, and you'll find people keep recreating this in all kinds of new ways. Basically, your your mind works in such a way that you can count the, the white team throwing the basketball around, or you can watch for the gorilla, but it's excruciatingly difficult for people to do both. Some people manage, um, but usually if you talk to them, they'll say, well, I, I counted 10, did see the gorilla. And it's like, well, then you fail the test, right? We all fail the test. The question is how we fail the test. So so we have trouble seeing things. We are blinded uh, by our culture. We're blinded by the way our, our eyes perceive things. And we're blinded by what we're looking at, right? I wasn't watching for a miracle, so I didn't see a miracle. That's what we read in our story today. There are so many things that keep us from seeing Miracles. So, what do we do? Well, there's a couple of things we can do. The first thing is we can try to expand our frame. You know, I like to think that there are doctors in Colorado who are now telling patients, look, I don't want you to get your hopes up, but I've seen situations where babies like this are able to walk and talk and see. I like to think that doctors say, you know what, I haven't seen it myself, but I've read it in the literature. Or I was at a conference last year and someone told me about a case that, where there was even more profound damage and the baby was able to grow up and lead a regular life. So I like to think that people can expand their frame and say, yes, we just don't know everything there is to know about Western medicine. And we're learning new things all the time. So one thing we can do is we can expand the frame. But ultimately, what we can do is we can recognize if the world is a painting, if the world is a work of art, we will never see the artist. We can't make a frame so big that it includes the artist. And that's what God did. God realized we would never see the artist as long as he stood off to one side and worked on the painting. So what he did is he became a part of the painting in Jesus Christ, he entered the painting and said, I want you to see the power of God at work here in this world because he's out there and you can't make your frame big enough to see him. But he's there. and He doesn't hate you. And bad things don't happen because he wants to punish you. What he wants you to know is you can have access to his power power to save his power to teach us Western medicine to help us understand that we don't know everything there is to know. So recognize the limits of the frame and then begin looking for miracles. Recognizing that maybe it's just always been a framing problem. So when you go to work Or when you think about your relationships. When you think about your finances. Or even, and this is where I get most of the questions about miracles. Even in the world of health. Look for God's power at work. And don't simply say, because it happened at the hands of a doctor, it's not a miracle. Jesus made mud. People expected a doctor in those age, in in that age, to use spit. When Jesus performed the miracle at the beginning of John's gospel, where he transforms water to wine, he didn't transform nothing to wine. Jesus worked within the frame to do something that pointed to what God is always ready to do. So look for miracles. Look for miracles at work, in relationships, in your health, in your finances. Look for a miracle. And finally, I was at a conference a couple of years ago and I heard Rick Warren say this line that has stuck with me. He said, kind of playing off the Western mindset that we're so susceptible to, he said, you know, one thing I've observed in my years as a pastor, when God's people start to pray, coincidences start to happen. And he was joking, because ultimately you can never perform a miracle so amazing that people can't explain it away as a coincidence. And he said, that's okay. You have a friend who is not a believer and will never believe, and in fact is so skeptical that, like the Jewish leaders in our story today, will never be convinced. That's fine. Pray that they have a coincidence. Say, you know what? I know they're really concerned about their health. So I'm going to pray that they have a coincidence. Because when God's people start to pray, coincidences start happening. Do miracles happen? I think it depends what you look for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story from Jesus the story of Jesus' work in the world that points to your saving and loving hand. Lord, give us eyes so that we can see like this man born blinded and not like his neighbors and not like the Jewish leaders. Give us eyes that truly see you at work in the world. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.